Section 44 of The United States. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The World Story, Volume 13, The United States. Edited by Eva March Tappan. Section 44. THE HORSE MARINES OF 1814 BY JOHN BACK MCMASTER During the latter part of the War of 1812, the British maintained a rigorous blockade of the Atlantic coast. The Editor The interruption of the coasting trade was indeed a very serious affair. For years past, that trade had given occupation to thousands of coasters and tens of thousands of sailors, the shoes made at Lynn, the Yankee notions of Connecticut, the cotton cards, the domestic cottons, the playing cards produced in New England, the flower of the Middle States, the East India goods brought in from abroad, had found a ready market at Charleston, Savannah, and Augusta, whence great quantities of rice and cotton were brought north. On the arrival of the British fleet, this trade, no longer to be carried on in safety by water, began of necessity to be carried on by land. At first, some merchants at Boston, having chartered a few wagons, dispatched them with loads to Philadelphia, and even to Baltimore. This was enough. The hint was taken. A new industry sprang up, and by the early summer the roads leading southward exhibited one continuous stream of huge, canvas-covered wagons, tugged along by double and triple teams of horses or of oxen. No distance was then too great, and hundreds of them wound their way from Salem and Boston to Augusta and Savannah. An estimate made toward the close of the year places the number of wagons thus employed at 4,000, and the number of cattle, horses, and oxen at 20,000. Nor does this seem excessive, for a traveler who drove from New York to Richmond declares that he passed 260 wagons on the way. Such was the stream that the good people of the New England towns along the post road from Boston to New York, scandalized at the wagons that went creaking through their streets every Sabbath, cried out that the tithing men must do their duty. Since the days of the turnpike and quick packet stage, the laws against traveling on the Sabbath had, even in Connecticut, been suffered to go unenforced. Here and there, indeed, a tithing man of the old school would quiet his conscience by calling out, Sunday after Sunday, to the driver of the regular four-horse Boston packet, as, loaded with passengers and with steeds at full gallop, it came clattering down the main streets of his native village. But no driver was foolish enough to heed him, and the matter was forgotten by the time the cloud of dust raised by the coach had settled. His inability to cope, single-handed, with a coach and four at full speed, satisfied the town that he had done his utmost to enforce the law but no such excuse applied to a heavily loaded wagon drawn by six oxen, driven by one man on foot, and the law began to be rigorously applied. In Fairfield and Weathersfield, that was especially the case, and these two towns soon became the dread of every wagoneer whom fate brought to them on Sunday. Delays of this sort, coupled with the more serious detentions caused by the unfitness of the wretched ferryboats on the great rivers to do the work that they were thus suddenly called upon to perform, did much to prolong the journey, which must at best have been slow. Even at New York, which now boasted of a steam ferry boat to Paulus Hook, 
as many as eight and fifteen wagons were often to be seen drawn up in line at the ferry waiting a chance to cross. On several occasions the wagons stood for three days in the street, and so obstructed travel that the Teamsters were arrested and fined ten dollars each for blocking the highways. During the summer, when the roads were at their best, the trip from Boston to Baltimore was made in twenty-six days, from Baltimore to Richmond in ten days, and from Baltimore to Augusta in thirty-three days. Two months were thus consumed on the road between Boston and Augusta. From New York to Augusta, the journey was usually made in fifty days, and from Philadelphia in forty-five. That merchants, whose cargoes of boots and shoes, whose boxes of India goods, cotton goods, tinware, hardware and fancy goods were thus entrusted to the honesty of unknown wagoneers, should be most anxious to follow them in their slow progress southward, was most natural. It was seriously suggested, therefore, that the owners of the wagon should name them, as in the case of ships, keep a rough log in which to enter the names of other wagons met on the road, their destination and their condition, and report to the newspapers of each town and city they pass through. All this information should then be published, and copied by newspaper after newspaper for the benefit of shippers. This was done, and in a few weeks every wagon had a name, serious or humorous according to the temper of the owner. There was teaser and split log, commerce renewed and old times, Neptune metamorphosed, toe the mark, mud clipper, sailor's misery, Cleopatra, Tecumseh, Serval, Jefferson's pride, and don't give up the ship. Entering into the humor of the thing, others procured great streamers bearing the words, free trade and teamsters' rights, free trade and oxen's rights, no impressment, and hung them to the sides of their wagons. Taking up the jest, the newspapers now began to record the arrival and departure of the wagons in the columns once devoted to ship news, under the headings, Horse Marine Intelligence, Horse and Ox Marine News, Jefferson Commerce. Every wagon team was a fleet of fast-sailing wagons, to be regularly cleared at each city on its route. Every teamster now became a captain, whose adventures on the way were duly published as a log in some such form as this. Port of Salem. Arrived the three-horse ship Drognaught, Captain David Allen, sixteen days from New York. Spoke in the latitude of Weathersfield, the Crispin. Friend Allymaster, from New York. Bound home to Lynn, but detained in waiting trial for breach of the Sabbath. The late Northeaster has laid an embargo on many wagons. Saw several scudding under bare poles. Sunday, 17th instant, at 11 a.m., Weatherfield Meeting House bearing west, northerly twenty rods, the graves just under our lee, was boarded from a government cutter called the Tithing Man, who put a prize master on board and ordered us to the first tavern. There, notwithstanding the law that free gigs made free passengers, was detained till midnight, when, upon paying the innkeeper's fees, was released. Others contain accounts of boardings and overhaulings and searchings by custom-house officers, who are invariably called douaniers by the Federalist Prince. If the cargo was not of English make and smuggled, the teamster would submit with a good grace, and perhaps even court investigation. Thus the story was told of a wagoneer who, when stopped and asked, What are you loaded with? replied, Quintals of Pollock, casks of oil, and dry goods from Eastport. Dry goods from Eastport? exclaimed the donier. They must be smuggled. The wagoneer protested that they were of American make, but the boxes were broken open and were found to contain 
not Yorkshire broadcloth and Irish linens, but dried herrings. That all these things should go unnoticed by the verse-makers and ballad-writers of the day was impossible. Indeed, they seized upon the opportunity with eagerness, and provided the new captains with as fine a set of catches as had ever belonged to their brethren of the sea. The favorite was a parody of that stirring hymn of Campbell which begins, Ye mariners of England that guard our native seas. Ye wagoners of freedom, whose charges to the cud, whose wheels have braved a dozen years the gravel and the mud, your glorious hawbucks yoke again to take another jag, and scud through the mud where the heavy wheels do drag, where the wagon creek is long and low and the jaded oxen lag, Columbia needs no wooden walls, nor ships where billows swell. Her march is like a terrapin's, her home is in her shell. To guard her trade and sailors' rights, in woods she spreads her flag. End of section 44. This recording is in the public domain. Recording by Todd.